comes from Acts 9, 1, 1-6. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we gather today and recognize our confirmands, uh, Miss Jill is waiting for the children who are heading out to Children's Church. Wanted them to get a chance to see our confirmation kids, but uh, those of you who are headed out to Children's Church, now is the time. Today, we are talking about the conversion of Saul, and uh, we're really talking about a before and after story. Now, some of those before and after stories are really big deals, and some of them are not. The before and after story of the man who went to his doctor, and his doctor said to him, you have got to stop eating red meat, and he stopped putting ketchup on his hamburger. That's not much of a before and after story. Uh, But down in Alabama, there's a United Methodist Church where something happened on uh, morning during Sunday school. Something odd that nobody expected happened, and it was in one of these tense times where there had been a police shooting, and a retired police officer was there in that Sunday school class. And as they'd had a, a bit of a discussion going on, the retired police officer stood up, and he says, I have got to confess something to this class. He said, I spent my life as a police officer in Montgomery, Alabama, and I have always had a prejudice against black males. And I need to say that now, and I need to let you all know that Jesus has done something bigger than that in me. About the same time, on the other side of the room, there was a black male member of the Sunday school class who also stood up, he said, well, I have something to confess. That I grew up on the streets of Montgomery here being taught that you can never trust a police officer. And my whole life, I've been prejudiced against police officers. These two guys moved together and faced each other for what everybody thought was an uncomfortably long time. And a few seconds later, in this Sunday school class in Montgomery, Alabama, they embraced. And they began a ministry together that blessed that city and that community for years and years to come. That's the kind of before and after that makes a tremendous difference in the world. This before and after where we recognize something about ourselves that fundamentally changes how we proceed. And so today, we're looking at this through the lens of Saul slash Paul. 
A lot of people consider that a, a bit like Abram in the Old Testament becoming Abraham, getting a new name. Well, that's not really what's going on here. Um, Saul is the Hebrew name. Paul is the Greek name. And so when Saul is talking to people in Jerusalem, they call him Saul because that's what his name in, in uh, their tongue would have been. But when he goes off into the rest of the world uh, to plant churches in Corinth and Rome, he goes by the Greek name, which is Paul. And so Saul and Paul are used kind of interchangeably in the Bible. Um, the conversion doesn't necessarily mark the point that Saul goes to a new name and becomes Paul. But one thing I do want to point out to you about our traditional image of Paul, and I like this, Paul is bald. That's one thing tradition teaches us about him is that he has either lost a lot of his hair or he is losing his hair. That would be me at various stages of adulthood. But the fact that they could remember and tradition says that Paul was a bald man reminds me that I am in good company. So to begin with, we're going to talk about Saul's conversion. This takes place in our text today in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, but Paul's not finished talking about it there. And the writers are not finished describing what happens there. Paul defends himself in chapter 22 of Acts after being arrested, and he tells the story again of his conversion. Later on, when he goes before King Agrippa, he tells the story of his conversion, of how suddenly something has happened around him, and, and everybody knows that something has happened, but nobody's quite sure about what has happened, but they, they know that a powerful moment is occurring within the life of Saul, and Saul himself falls down, hears the voice, sees the flash, and gets up a new person. He himself references it briefly in 1 Corinthians 15, and he references it twice in Galatians. Paul doesn't get away from this idea. Here's what Jesus did for me. Paul does not leave behind the story of how he and the risen Christ intersected. It's a part of his biography, and it's a part of his biography that he brings up and the biblical writers bring up again and again. Paul meets Jesus. So when Paul meets Jesus, we see he was going along and approaching Damascus. Now, he is a zealous person. Paul is all about getting things done. And Jerusalem and Damascus are not next door to each other. It's not Harrodsburg, Danville. He knows that there are Christians that are a long way off, and he is prepared to go with arrest warrants for them, and he is prepared to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial, for punishment. For worse. And suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him, and he fell to the ground, and he hears this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul says, Well, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, lest you have forgotten, 
Saul is not going to Damascus to find Jesus. Saul is going to Damascus to take care of Jesus' people by bringing, take care of, in a negative sense, not a positive sense, by bringing them back. But when you have done it to one of these, the least of my brethren, Jesus says, the least of my people, you have done it to me. And so it can be said with Paul going to Damascus to humiliate and to punish the people of Jesus, it's as if Paul is going to humiliate and to punish Jesus himself. Think about this in our polarized world. Think about the Russians and the Ukrainians who are fighting each other, the Ukrainian Orthodox Christians and the Russian Orthodox Christians fighting each other. They'd best be careful lest Christ followers be turned one against the other. Be careful in this polarized society where hyperbole is used continually. And we talk about how anybody who disagrees with us is a liar and a scoundrel and is up to no good and will apply any sort of adjectives to their name. Be careful. If we do that to those who bear the name of Christ, it's as if we are doing that to Christ himself. Who are you, Lord? I am he who you are going to persecute. I am in and among the men and women in Damascus who worship my name. Paul fallen from the horse, down on the ground, looking to Jesus. Paul meets Jesus. And when Paul meets Jesus, Jesus turns his world and his life upside down. As he says later on in Acts chapter 26, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet, for I have appointed you, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and to testify to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Jesus comes and he turns Paul's world upside down. He makes Paul understand that all that has come before is a preparation for all that has come after, but the things that were thought before are not the things that can be thought after. The, the personality of Paul comes out throughout the book of Acts, throughout Paul's writings in the New Testament. Some of the writers actually portray Paul as a pretty bossy person. You know, when he gets in the shipwreck, on the ship, 
There's the, the mariners and the captain. They are the people who are in charge of the movement of the ship. And then there are the merchants. They're the people that are in charge of the cargo on the ships. Then there are the soldiers, and they're in charge of the prisoners on the ship. And then at the very bottom of the social structure there, we've got the prisoners. And Paul is a prisoner on the ship And Paul walks around trying to give the captain orders. We shouldn't leave today. It would be a problem to leave today. And you can just imagine Paul's friends saying, just hush, hush, we're just prisoners here. We're not. Then when the ship does wreck, he says, you should have listened to me. I told you you shouldn't have left when you did. I told you so. I told you this would happen. That same personality comes after with equal vigor, with equal confidence, with equal articulateness, Paul proclaims the gospel of Jesus. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the law. He knew the scriptures. He needed that for his work as one of the first missionaries in the church. Paul meets Jesus, who turns his life upside down and changes the way Paul thinks. There's this certain Ananias who was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by the Jews living there, came to me, Paul says in another of these places where he describes his calling. And standing there beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. Now Ananias is probably one of the first to actually call Saul brother. As he got to Damascus, word had already come that he was coming. Word had already come that he came bearing these arrest warrants to take people back to Jerusalem. And so when he knocked on the door and said, I'm a Christian, let me in. The Christians at Damascus were certainly smart enough to see through that. It took some time. It even took Barnabas coming in and vouching for for Saul, for Paul. And saying he is. He is who he says he is. In that very hour, I regained my sight. And I saw him. And he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will. To see the righteous one and to hear his own voice. For you will be his witness to all the world of what you have seen and what you have heard. Paul meets Jesus, who turns his life upside down, and he changes the way that Paul thinks. He changes the way that Paul lives the remainder of his life. Ananias has said, God has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his own voice. Paul meets Jesus, who turns his life upside down, changing the way Paul thinks, and changing what he does. When he tells his story to King Agrippa, after that, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, who didn't believe me to begin with, but eventually they came to know that I couldn't be faking it as well as I was. Then in Jerusalem and throughout the countryside of Judea, 
and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do deeds consistent with repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And to this day, I have had help from God to stand here, testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets said must take place, that the Messiah must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul has come to harass the Christians. But before the book of Acts is over, he is the chief spokesperson before royalty, sharing the Christian message. He is the one to whom the Christian message is entrusted to be shared throughout the entire Mediterranean region. An encounter with Jesus turns our lives upside down. An encounter with Jesus causes us to recognize we are not who God wants us to be, that there is this abundant life that we hear about, and somehow we recognize that this abundant life hasn't sunk deeply into our bones. We recognize that we're being held back by our own selfishness, our own pride. But an encounter with Jesus turns our lives upside down. It changes how we think. If everybody you see this afternoon is a child of God is somehow bearing the image of God. If everyone you see is a creation that God has uniquely made as a human being, then how can we be cruel? How can we not see that which others see so clearly? How can we hate? It changes how we think and it changes what we do and it gives a new meaning to everything that has gone before. God uses your personality from before after. God uses your your knowledge from before after. God understands that, that we have made mistakes and we have sinned in word and deed by what we have done and left undone. God takes all of that stuff from before and he gives it to us after in a new and a pure way, in a new and a holy way. And so today, I'm encouraging you to think about a couple of questions and just with several people around you, Uh, look at these. Paul had this clear before and after experience in his life of faith. Is there a before and after experience in, in your faith? What happened to bring that change? And what was it that changed? And then moving to this idea that everybody didn't believe that Paul had changed, how long does it take others to believe that real change has occurred? Describe a time when you doubted somebody's change that was real or when someone doubted that a change in you 
was real. So for the next several minutes, just find a couple of folks around and talk about those two things. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise Him. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, oh
Yeah. 